We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. We're in episode 504 of the Barcelona Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Jim Hilton, and while I will have a new friend on Thursday, today is just me, but not technically not, because I've got listener questions to answer. And I really like this batch of questions, honestly. We got some good ones in here to help us get through the rest of the international break. These are, of course, on the closed Facebook group, but when it comes to the show, I do get inspiration from everywhere, Discord, YouTube comments, social media. So if you're watching on YouTube... Please subscribe to the channel so it's worth it for me to keep making these video podcasts. I know how close I am to 15,000. I would love to get there before the end of the year. But if we get to 20,000, there are quite a few ideas I have cooked up on how to say thank you. So they're a little bit incentive to subscribe to the channel. Also want to mention too that I'm recording this as Spain is currently playing against Cyprus. So just like the last show that I recorded, if Laminimal winds up doing something crazy, well, it's not going to make it into the show because, well... The show is currently being recorded and edited and all that stuff, so unfortunately it happened in the past, but I bet Laminimal is doing pretty well right now for Spain in a start against Cyprus. All right, so with that done, I'm going to have to watch that game later. I want to dive right into these questions, though. Facebook group all-star Ellie asks, explain the changes in Xavi's tactics between Season 1, whenever he took over, Season 2, and the current season. Why is there a difference, and why is the team off to a rough start performance-wise? Now, obviously, if you've heard listener questions before, you know that every answer is always a little bit of a cop-out, kind of what I do. That's how I answer these because, yeah, if you're asking me, then it's something that is just a bit where maybe somebody doesn't know, but you might know it as well as I do and all those things. But I do, with this question in particular, want to take the time to answer this both in the macro and then a few smaller details too. Xavi's tactics, honestly, looking at them over the last few seasons, they're very similar to when he took over. The difference is however, are personnel and player performances. And those two things cannot be understated. I know that it winds up being a broken record that I keep saying that over and over and over again, but I I think those two things are most important to anything else. I'm not going to let him off the hook, though, in terms of what he hasn't changed and how he has not really adapted. But when you lose Sergio Busquets this season from that 3-2-5 attacking formation that seemed to be working to good effect last season in the way that they won the Liga... That means that you fundamentally changed so much of what Frankie de Jong was doing last season, and those other midfielders too. Because while Ordo Romeo has done a great job covering many of the same spaces and places on the field, Xavi has even experimented with pushing Ordo Romeo forward on the press the way he did with Busquets. But Romeo's lack of diagonal balls, as I mentioned during even the first or second preseason match, the lack of those diagonal balls in transition as Barca phase out of their own third of the field, 
That has forced both De Jong and Pedri into deeper positions to play those balls and get Barca into the next phase of play in transition. It was also telling that Koundé was on his game with those long balls right before the international break, and he had his best game of the season while he was doing those things. And De Jong also played really, really well in that same match, I think for a lot of the same reasons. Because talking back to the transition issues, then when you lose Dembélé from that same or similar phase and swap the majority of those attacks over to the left to Balde, you've now changed the number of bodies required in that next phase of play. Meaning, now you're pushing Balde, and we even saw with Abde, forward with even less support if it's the Young and Pedri who are required to deliver those long balls, which again is just something that Romeo doesn't necessarily do. And Balde, as we know, can't regularly go 1v2, and he's still getting there with his 1v1s in a way that Dembele always brought that second defender, whether he won that move or not. But that meant that you had the rest of your players with the trust that Dembele is going to bring that second help, meaning there was a free man on that rest defense or in that rest defense to grab the ball back and to win those 50-50s and things like that and not give up as many counters the way that Barca seemed to be in the first part of this season. And also add too that Balde needs to consider his positioning in case he turns it over right away. So just by swapping out those two players, you've complicated one of the things that worked well when Barca were playing at their best last winter, which was that counter. Because we can't get too dogmatic here. Xavi basically continued doing what Kuman was trying to do. And where world football, looking at the way that Pep Guardiola has now also instituted the goalkeeper in buildup as well, the way that football is going, those counters have to be elite. They have to be so dangerous. That is where football is now in 2023. And what Kuman we even saw was trying to do himself with a team that just wasn't as talented or nearly as good. Now make Barca more dangerous on the counter and less reliant on beating low blocks to horizontal buildup. Now, what I will add to all this, another issue that I've already mentioned about this season's frustrations is that while Barca is creating chances, they're top three in the league, if not first, I, from the last time I checked, those chances against teams playing in low blocks aren't high enough percentage chances. And I think, as I've said too with these match reviews, that's due to a lack of movement in that front five of the 3-2-5. And I have put Gundogan's lack of chemistry with his teammates as pretty high on the reasons why, particularly with Frankie. You look at the double pivot disaster of Busquets and De Jong from that very end of the Inesta Valverde era in late 2019 when De Jong arrived. But then you fast forward to last season and you could see how long it took for those two, Busquets being one of the greatest football minds of the 21st century even, to figure it out together. Gundogan and De Jong will hopefully be figuring it out a lot, lot, lot quicker than that, along with Gabi and Pedri and Oribameu. And those patterns of play will get much quicker and hopefully they will get better. Because remember, the first half of the season is all about winning the three points you don't deserve and just surviving the Champions League. You want to be playing your best starting around January with the Spanish Super Cup and continue that on through the rest of the season. So that's how I'll answer that question, you know, without going and having the whole show be about that. The fundamentals of Xavi's system, be it pressing with the nine and a high interior, relying on the width and 1v1 situations and passages of play in transition, those things didn't really change, but the personnel has. And honestly, as trade as it sounds, if Lewandowski was running like 15 more steps per match and scoring a goal per game, we wouldn't be calling it a rough start performance-wise at all. Because Barcelona, as I said, have captured 10 points of a possible 12 points. So it, it could be much, much worse with their less than stellar performances. Sujis asks, what are your views on the internal politics behind transfers? Laporta, Deco, Alemani, Xavi, who's in control and who has the final say? And of course, Alemani is what control did he have? And obviously he's gone now. And I actually want to make sure we're adding both agents and players to that list as well. Take the Oribe transfer, for example. There are a lot of defensive midfielders that Barcelona may have gotten for around 6.5 mil with the wages similar to his. But his agency, Magic Diaz, 
agreed to give up part of his owed salary on the remainder of his Girona contract and some of the agent commission so that he could play for Barcelona. To that point, though, I don't want to rose-tint these glasses and say, oh, all the free transfers indicate that players want to play for Barcelona. The pull of the club is so strong and all that propaganda, we know that. But it is strong. Yes, that's true. If you're listening to this, you know that. The pull of playing for Barcelona, very much like playing for Real Madrid, it is as strong as it is for other than the top six in the Premier League, and maybe you even don't put Tottenham on that list, and maybe Manchester United even you don't put on that list. But the pool of playing for Barcelona and Real Madrid, it is real, it is too short. Even if Barcelona don't look like they're going to conquer Europe again just yet, players in their prime, like Lewandowski, like Gundogan, may think that they were the missing piece, and they should have the confidence in themselves, if you're one of those kind of big players, to think that, yeah, I'm the reason why they're not contending for the Champions League. And they also get to live, as I say, a billion times over the course of six years with their partners in the city of Barcelona, which, without bias, is my favorite city I've been to in Europe, regardless of anything related to football. Again, I'm also a person who, while traveling on airplanes, is very difficult for me physically. That's a, a whole story for another time. Once I get to that place, I, I do enjoy to travel. <laughs> I like cities and I like things like that around the world. And Barcelona, regardless of what was happening at the Camp Nou and the museum and all that fun stuff related to the club, I enjoyed my, that city more than any of that I've been to, especially in Europe. It's wonderful weather. There's so many things to do. It's an international city, of course. But the other part of it is that while the upfront transfers are free, Pini Zahavi and Jorge Mendez, I don't know what their commissions were. But I bet they weren't that far off from what one of their clients heading to the EPL was. Laporta relationship be damned. And the other thing you look at is the wages. Lewandowski is making the same wages he would have made in the EPL, if not much more, honestly. Ansu Fati's wages are reasonable in Barcelona's lowered salary structure, but he still makes, and I hope you're sitting down for this one, he would be 11th in Barcelona's salary structure on what he makes at Brighton, but 4th on what Barca owe him. Because yes, Barca are still paying reportedly around 2.7 mil of his wages while he's away this year. But Brighton are still reportedly paying him the other 8.3 mil that he is owed this year, making him first in wages on their wage bill by almost 60% of any other player. Adam Lallana is next on that list at 4.6 mil, followed by other 30-year-olds in Lewis Dunk and Pascal Gross, who signed for contracts that are Still, at this point, again, it was over the course of time, which is what we've seen how the EPL teams do get around FFP to a certain degree, Chelsea being the best at this, is that if you extend these contracts for longer amounts of time for lower wages, then FFP is like, well, yeah, he's only making 6.5 or 8.3 this season. And that's obviously not going over what your revenue that was reported this season would be for that percentage. But again, over the course of that contract, good luck getting rid of these players with, what, 70, 80, whatever is required left on these deals before they're done. Now, we don't know what Mahmoud Dahoud makes for Brighton, so he could actually be higher than Lalana because that hasn't been reported. But he is still likely very much under Ansu Fati in the wage bill. The point I'm making here is that between Deco and previously Alemani and Jordi Groif before that and some Xavi, and then the many scouts that Barcelona has out there in the world... You think one of those names, by the way, that I just mentioned in Deco, Almani, and Jordi Cruyff, and Xavi, you think one of those figures discovered Mika Faye? No chance. Almost impossible <laughs> that one of those four was the one that first saw Mika Faye. But when it comes to power and the final say, it does come down to who's paying the bills and on the hook for player failures, which is an elected president and the guy actually making a lot of these final negotiations, which is now Deco. And because Laporte trusts Deco so much, Alemani was his appointment, but not really his guy, I felt like, but he was his appointment. And then Jordi Cruyff was his guy, but clearly, due to his other interests in the sport, not long for the job. 
And even Roman Planas, who found a ton of talent, wasn't his hire, so it's not truly his guy. The Laporta agent's relationship stuff always concerns me, but I do always remember that it's his reputation on the line when transfers fail more than anyone else. And he was having those fancy dinners. He's a member of high society in, in, in Catalonia. He was having those fancy dinners before he was president. But now they can just be called business dinners and he can have those with agents and they will say do some net good. But I also think that he genuinely trusts Deco and Xavi and he may have been pushy at times in negotiations, but he generally trusted Alemani too. And a reminder as well, these big men in suits all want to control this thing. They want it to be their baby and they want to take credit for it. And they stake also their reputations on it. The better that Alemani did and the more he could have taken credit for, that means that he could have a long and lucrative career in other places for a long, long time. But at the moment, I don't think that the power struggle at Barcelona is cancerous in the same way that it has been A in the past and the way that I think it exists at a lot of other clubs at the moment. So for all the times that that cult of personality, and, and you know if you listen to this podcast, that there are times that I'm not happy with the way that Laporta runs his presidency, XYZ. But in terms of just, again, the power struggle and the trust that he has in the internal politics behind transfers, I actually do think that Barcelona is in a pretty healthy spot at the moment. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you think of great duos, who do you think of? Jordan and Pippen or LeBron and Dwayne Wade. I mean, I talk about basketball a lot here on this podcast, but for the Barcelona version, there's PK and Puyol or PK and Mascherano or the easy example of Xavi and Iniesta. And as you can hear from my voice, the perfect teammates aren't just professional athletes. It's cold season. I guess the flu and cold medicine, perfect teammates as well. But in this case, when it comes to growing your business, that's you and Shopify. Shopify is a global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. To be honest, I've been doing this show long enough. And as I mentioned, it's cold and flu season. You hear it in my voice, especially during the holiday season. So whenever it comes to this business, anything that I can set up and kind of have working in the background that I know and can trust is just plugging along without my attention. Those are the things that I really value at this point. So when my brain is foggy and all I can do is manage to turn on the microphone, talk to the guest, or just talk to myself and get out a piece of content, everything else, having that all automated or working in the background, that's been important to keeping me sane. And that's the thing about something like Shopify. What I do love about Shopify is how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. So no matter how big or small, how good of a month or how bad of a month, things are just the same 
working in the background. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S., and Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs on every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way, because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tbpod, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash tbpod now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash tbpod. Christopher asks, between Lamina Mall and Rafinha, who should be the starter after the international break based on their feats with their national teams and their form before the break? But things may get dicey for off-the-field reasons. To my understanding, the personal contract that Lamina Mall signed two months ago when he turned 16 was very similar to the one that Gabi signed at 16 because while Gabi was not yet in the first team, he was also already on the verge of the first team and they were in talks about that. So the salary was higher than other academies' prospects his own age with a wage that had a likeness to a player on the bottom of the first team salary list, but still kind of above that youth team structure, but with incentives that greatly affect the next contract, which in the case of Lamina Mall is Jorge Mendes who is reportedly already working on that new deal with the understanding that other clubs are going to be coming in with huge money offers. On Sunday, it was reported that the club has an informal agreement, which after the days of Luis Figo is not a real thing in Catalonia. I will repeat, is not a real thing, an informal agreement. But nonetheless, an informal agreement with Mendes on a seven-year deal. The first two of that being what takes him to being 18, and then the other five keeping him around until 2023, where he'd be 23 years old. The contract he signed at 16 is supposed to go until he's 18. And so again, using Gabi as a blueprint, Gabi signed the deal at 16, and then at 18, or at least agreed at 18 and it took months to register it. But anyway, Gabi signed the deal until 2026 with a billion euro release clause. And for Barca, having the minimal already playing for Spain as a full international is not going to be cheap and will be adding to what is going to be a big deal for an 18-year-old. Which does get us back to the question here. I think those financial incentives in the current deal and the promises of the future deal will greatly affect the choices of Xavi along with form. Rafinha is a more experienced player who, I will remind you, contributes goals and assists, regardless of how messy it is. Lamine Mall likely will too contribute both goals and assists, but academy players across the board always do it at a lower rate, but we get more excited about it, and the propaganda and the PR machine makes it feel like the actual number of goals and assists is more than what is a valued member of the first team. So for the rest of the season, my prediction is that Rafinha starts more games and has more goal contributions. But I also predict that by the end, this is an easy prediction to make, but I think we'll know who the future and maybe even next year's right winger is by May of this season. Which leads me into another question about Lamini Mall from Poncho. What is your realistic expectation for Lamini Mall? And I also want to add here, this listener show, so I have the time to do this. I say Lamini Mall because very much like Luis Enrique, that is the first name. So every time you say Lamini Mall, you're supposed to say Lamini Mall. And obviously, as someone who types his name out and has to kind of truncate everything in headlines, trust me, I feel it. I feel the frustrations. I'd love to be able to say Yamal or Lamine, but hey, we're doing Lamini Mall every time here because that's what his name is, just like Luis Enrique. So how many appearances, goals, and assists would you say he hits? For all intents and purposes, we're saying that Lamini Mall is in the first team, right? He's going to be with Xavi's team pretty much all season long. And because he gets called up to international duty already with Spain, I don't expect him to make many appearances at all with Barca Athletic at this point. So let's look at some of the other first seasons for teenage attackers coming from the academy and what production they had in their first seasons. Let's start with Messi and not because of, again, comparisons or anything, but Messi was 17 when he debuted. That's why we're talking about him. But his first season regularly with the first team was 05-06 when he was actually 18, not 17. That's two years older than Lamini Mall. 
Again, Messi, two years older than the Minimal when he was having his first full season in the first team. Let's add that caveat here. He scored eight, assisted five, and played 25 matches across the Liga, Champions League, and Copa del Rey, which actually isn't that many, but he wasn't fully healthy that year either. So like always, that's going to be our benchmark here. Boyan Kerchik, who is the better example because he went right from the academy to prime time, and he was 17 at the time as well. He played 48 matches in that first season at 17 in the first team in 07-08. He scored 12 goals, six assists, and started around 20 matches. Giovanni Dos Santos was 18 when he got the regular call-ups, 38 appearances, four goals, eight assists, not a regular starter, but he did hit double-digit starts in the Liga. Ansu Fati, who turned 17 two months into his first season with the first team, 33 appearances, eight goals, one assist, and double-digit starts. Now, those are all attackers, but if you add Gabi here at 16, as the 16-year-old equivalent here, he played 47 matches. Holy goodness, do not let Lamini Mall play 47 matches, but you get the point. Lamini Mall is already at four appearances, three starts, and two assists. So taking all of this into account, all those numbers and all those examples, I'm saying that he makes 40 total appearances, five goals, nine assists. And those projections might even be a bit too low, but I do think there are some learning curves once defenders get some tape of him, especially when he went out on international duty too. So I'm saying that this season, he makes 36 more appearances than he's already made with the four, starting or from the bench, doesn't matter. I think he scores five goals still this season, and I think he gets seven more assists than the two he already had. And looking again at the other contemporaries he had, that's pretty darn good for a 16-year-old because so many of the other ones I even mentioned were 17 or 18 when they had similar or even lesser contributions. Another similar topic, real quick here from Dirk, who do you think will break the free kick curse? Of course, this is about Messi having scored Barcelona's last free kick. I know, I know. My guess is it's Rafinha. That's been my guess, I think, for a while now. And yeah, maybe if Lamini Mal to start, it won't be Rafinha. But I think he takes him from that spot on the right side where Pedri tends to get fouled. And I just feel like the play that's been closest, I believe he has hit the post twice in this stretch here. So my guess continues to be Rafinha with that free kick. Raj asks, how will poor attendance affect FFP numbers? I almost want to couple that question with one from Magnus about having enough salary for Vita Roque in January. The net income, so that's revenue minus expenses, just for Camp No operations in the 2021-22 season, which is the most recent annual report we have. That income was 54520 in thousands of euros, so that's $54 million. Sorry to get so confusing there. Adding all the other sections, you get to 61.450 mil, but that's just gate revenue. Members and season ticket holders were 29.8 and 19.1 for all sections, totaling 48.9 mil. So, too long, didn't read. That's around 110 million euros from the 2021-22 season that's based on current attendance and season ticket holders at Montjuic. Taking all of that into account, that could be almost cut in half this season. But more importantly, though, again, looking at the end of report, is the Champions League stuff that I don't want to underplay in terms of the TV revenue stuff. 274 mil in 2021-22 came from TV. That's everything. And that number goes up by tens or more with Champions League stuff. So when you're talking about the risk and what could, we'll say, go wrong or not go wrong, while the gate revenue to Montjuic might be cut in half, I mean, that is revenue that Barca would hope that they can get. But if they don't, that is a great frustration. The Champions League stuff, I mean, that's almost, I'll say a different thing, but the season ticket holder and attendance is a slow burn where they go, oh no, like we're lower projections, we're low in projections. What can we do? What can we do? What can we do? But Champions League is 90 minutes where you're like, oh no, we're missing out on millions of euros because 
Barcelona lost a game 2-1 in the 91st minute or whatever it would be in if it's especially even the knockouts if it's the quarterfinals or I mean let's say yeah I don't want to talk about the other part but so I could actually see this equation being really simple for the Vita Roque part of this so simplifying it for January Barcelona somehow find a way not to advance in Europe which will obviously cost Xavi and maybe even Laporta their jobs then I think there is no way that Barcelona can afford Vita Roque in terms of what their wage bill will be compared to what their revenue lost will have been if Barca do qualify and can guarantee at least two more knockout UCL games for TV, which is what would be the, the first round of knockouts, a round of 32, then I think they can, and I think they should be able to afford Vitor Roque at that point. And I think that'll probably affect it much more than the 60 mil that may be lost at the gate between general public and season ticket holders, which I also think, again, over the course of the season, we saw last year too. The better Barcelona plays, then the more people are going to show up and the more people are going to make those trips two months week. And we also see attendance does raise a little bit after the holidays in December. So come January, February, March, you do see the gate revenue uptick, regardless of, I, I think at least, you'd think regardless of where they are. Javier asked a quick fun one. If you could relive a single Barca game, what would it be? I saw some shouts for the 6-1, but I'm not about the high highs and the low lows. I think people who've been listening to this long enough know that I'm not about that, that life. And, you know, I just went back and watched one of the 2011 El Clasicos, by the way, gross they're actually just gross it, it's just a lot of kicking and, and fighting and complaining to the ref and yelling and while it's exciting and you could feel i mean that is the passion of football so if you want passion yeah sure have fun go go watch those but i actually don't think those are fun to watch and you know the results of those in Barcelona were coming out on top i mean of course beating real madrid fills you with the greatest glee that, that you could ever get in life but even while living it there is a lot of complaining frustration and come on to stuff. I, I can't pick one of those or Real Madrid, Matt. So I am going to go with the 2011 Champions League victory over Manchester United. To me, watching that match from the first whistle to the final one, it was never really in doubt. Maybe a few moments in the first half, of course, before goals were scored, sure. But Barcelona was winning that trophy. And that allowed me to, from, again, the beginning of that match to the end, just sit there and enjoy it. Just take it all in for the beauty that it was with some of the greatest to ever play the game. With the 2006 Champions League final with the Belletti goal, maybe being second for that same reason. I feel like winning a trophy as the prize for the performance being so grand is always what I want to relive. So that's what I would say. Where I say at the end of it, I could take that breath and go, they did it. They won. They won the trophy. And look at they, look how they did that. They are the best. They are the best team. They played the best football. And boy, was that wonderful to enjoy. So I, I think that's how to go with the 2011 Champions League final. Frederick asks, would selling Lewandowski to Saudi Arabia in January or later be a good idea considering his poor performances, or do you think he'll turn it around and start scoring like he did when he first arrived in Barcelona? I have really bad news for you, Frederick. If you're, well, bad news for you if you want to see him leave in January. While a Saudi team may have the funds for Lewandowski in January, I don't think he passes up what Barcelona are owing him and playing for this team at this point in his career. He still very much has something to prove regardless of his age. And I think he backs himself to get back to scoring. And I think he has great confidence that even though he's not succeeding the way he wants to, that he will in short order. For all his struggles, he has the two goals and an assist from four matches. And Barcelona, as I already mentioned, has 10 of 12 points from those matches. And I want to remind you too, for center forward, it doesn't have to be pretty for him. It just has to happen, whether it's a penalty kick or from 25 yards out, it's the same goal. And it counts for the same amount of goals for the same amount of help that that will do in getting Barcelona points. But obviously, just like everyone else, I'm worried about what I'm seeing from him. The movement or lack thereof, the apparent lack of chemistry, the struggles with his first touch. And when I say first touch, not holding the ball up. 
I don't think he was ever particularly great at that, regardless of where he was. I go back to the show I had with Bavarian Works when Lewandowski was first set to arrive. Jake warned us that you weren't necessarily going to get a player who was great at holding the ball up, but he technically is one of the superior center forwards in world football. But we haven't really seen that first touch this season. I mean, Byron very much being a big sample size of not really holding the ball up to an elite level, but his first touch is much better than what we've seen this season, including the touch he uses to set himself up for shots. That's been a bit heavy this year so far, but I'd hope that that does improve as everybody gets more comfortable together this season. And because Vita Roque is just 18, there is no way Barca shipped their starting nine now in January when they've struggled in the Champions League for as long as they have. They're going to want to have the best squad they have if they already know that they were expected to pay Lewandowski's wages this season. The real conversation, though, is next summer. His wages are way too high for a team in Europe to pounce. And for the next season, I believe Barca can get out of his contract if he plays less than, what did I see, like 65% of matches. So if this season is even like 17 goals, right, instead of like 25 or 30, and you get a Saudi offer, and Vita Roque looks at least reasonable for the future from January to May then yeah, you cut bait and you feel like maybe you cut bait a year early. That would still, to me, feel like Barca were selling him early, but also at the right time, which means if it's at the right time for you from a club perspective, that usually means it's too late. So maybe this past summer should have actually been the time to sell him too early. But you get what I'm saying here. I put a January sale at less than 7%. And even for the summer, I'm saying a sale for Lewandowski over the summer, I'm going to say about 30% on that one, maybe 25%, depending on the rest of how this year goes. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) The Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Rick asked, do you think Gavi can fulfill his potential on the left wing? And Peter also asked, what is your expectation for Gavi's growth this season? What is the main thing he should work on? You know, Gavi has been on my mind throughout this international break because I do think, yeah, with the, the Young Player Awards and obviously X or Twitter, or whatever, do push forward a lot of these conversations. But I think for Gavi, it is continuing to find his spots in the finishing product. I think what, again, those social media threads and, and conversations don't really get is the nuance required of, of where Gabi is now and where he needs to be. And I think that's why Kool-Aid's not saying this so you don't talk about Gabi, but they only talk about him 
and really stringent platitudes of, oh, he's underrated, or, oh, Gabby's way better than everyone thinks he is. But why? What about it? So I think this season, he's still going to score more goals than he gets assists, and that's based on the way that he's used on the wing. I think that's going to be the case. And when I even say finishing product, I'm not saying scoring goals. I'm saying finding his spots in the finishing product, whether assisting or scoring the goals. So crashing the box to clean something up, making a back post run off of Lewandowski, that's how he'll contribute with that finishing product. But because there is so much responsibility on him to stay positionally disciplined on the left to help tuck in for Balde while supporting De Young when he gets freedom in, in, in his boots, Gabi will have to continue to learn when it's his moment and how to continue to affect Barcelona's best offensive passages of play. Gabi is so good in possession and as I was just saying, dare I say even underrated in possession and technically by Kool-Aid's because of his attitude. And his positioning in Barca's defensive shape is also invaluable, or 100 billion euro release clause, valuable. So his progress to me comes in how he affects the final verdict of the match if he's playing high in that 3-2-5. So it's not as simple as he needs to be a better finisher. I think his main growth will be continuing to hone the moments when he can use the talents he already has to affect the game in greater ways and put more of a fingerprint with his feet and his technical ability and his skill and his finishing product. And I know that does feel like a cop-out answer, but I go back to the Spanish Super Cup final. Of course, he scored a goal, but even without the goal, that was the most influential I ever saw Gabi in a match before or since. And if you can get that kind of game or close to that kind of game, I should say, as I said, even without the goal, out of him more often, that is what progress for Gabi will look like to me and what I will consider a jump forward for Gabi in the same way that last year. Was Pedri, did he look that much different or better than he did in previous seasons? No, but you saw the differences. And over the summer, I even made that video about the importance and significance of Pedri and why when Barcelona don't have Pedri, they're so much worse and how important he is in not even accountable stats, but in the way that Barcelona want to play and what it looks like when they're thriving and how important Pedri is to that. Pedri wasn't or didn't look that much better from his when he was 18 to 19 or 19 to 20, but he is improving in the ways that makes Barcelona just a better team. And that is why we like Gabi and Pedri so much. That's why we get those warm and fuzzy feelings when we see them succeed, because these are kids that could be around for a long time and do make Barcelona better from minute one to minute 90, as opposed to just having these, these moments, these flashes of brilliance. Like They are consistently great and can be consistently great. And so for Gabi, I'm asking, can you be greater and even more consistently? All right, that was confusing enough. So last one, as I'm running out of time, and I do also want to say I didn't get to all the questions, but I will be keeping them, and most of them will come up later in shows as discussion points for sure. So great questions this time around. Thank you to everybody. Noah asks, if Barcelona had $100 million to waste on a player, what player would be worth the risk and fit in best with the current squad? The crazy thing is that while I'd love to say Holland or Mbappe, they are way more than $100 million. So $100 million would actually not get the job done for those two. Even Bakayo Saka, who, while you'd think he'd be blocking Lamine Mall on the right, would probably be my pick. I would, I would sign him yesterday, right? Just bring him in. Great. You have maybe the best right winger in the world at 22, entering his prime with Lamine Mall behind him. Awesome. Barcelona, maybe you don't have to worry about the position until 2050. Great, <laughs> great job. Even Rodri from Man City or Rafael Leal, who plays for AC Milan, the two, in my opinion, best options at defensive midfielder and left winger, two positions of profound need at Barcelona still, they're probably more than 100 million, even if their market value on transfer mark says 90 mil. But continuing to work down the transfer mark list, I am tempted to say Bernardo Silva, who at 29 would probably be right around 100 mil and give Xavi exactly what he wants. I'm also tempted to say Joshua Kimmich because of what he would provide the squad. 
But I also think that him and DeYoung would be almost worst case scenario for the two of them at their peaks. And the same problems that Bayern and Germany have with the Goretzka-Kimmich thing would then continue on at Barcelona. So I do think the modern fit would be a problem for DeYoung and Kimmich in the midfield. If this was last summer, before we saw what Balde was, Alfonso Davies would have been the answer and I'd be screaming him from the heavens last summer. Man, I'd even go Akraf Hakimi and keep like 30 mil euros if you're going to get him for 70 mil. I'm also thinking of just going for Zubamendi with money left over. So this is a really tough question. So good on you, Noah. This is a brain buster. But I am going to, I guess, like cheat a little bit by the own standards I set. So I'm actually going to say he's 27. So maybe it's Rodri for 100 million on the nose. And maybe Man City feels a little bad about pairing Torres deal and Bajira State and helps Barca out and they get it done for 100 mil. So I think that would be what I'd say because I think while Orumeo has been great and doing what he's been asked to do with the player that he is, Rodri has been the best at his position over the last two years, and actually it might not even be that close. And I would think that with the way that he plays, I think you see, obviously, Gunawan gets back to his best. I think that may be the best version of Frankie de Young that you see. And I think in terms of Gabi and Pedri, the best attacking versions of them, you'd also see that. In terms of his ability to play those diagonal balls, that enhances where Baldi receives it on the field. That helps Barcelona in their build-up phases. It's just every problem that Barcelona seems to have at the moment. Again, it's not Oro Romeu's fault, and Busquets didn't solve those either, but I think Rodri does because of his sheer level and the position he plays. It just raises the floor of Barcelona so high, so high. And it also, again, I think puts their ceiling with what they already have uh, incredibly high. As much as I'd love to just say uh, Lewandowski's pass at bringing the center forward, no center forward in world football is perfect. And I said for Mbappe and Holland, they're definitely more, way more than 100 mil. So that wouldn't have got it done. The only other option is the obvious one. Maybe or less obvious, I don't know. And say Messi, but he is having fun in Miami and tried to come back for as cheap as possible. So 100 mil, if Barcelona weren't willing to sell him for 100 mil, I don't think at this point in his career they should go out and get him for 100 mil. So I'm going to let Messi stay in Miami and keep having fun. If you had said if you could go back in time and get any player for 100 mil at 20, well, I would, I mean, he played for Barca. So, all right, we've lost the plot here. <laughs> if there was a way to get Messi back, certainly I'd love to do it. I don't think fit wise and all that other stuff that he's perfect for this Barcelona squad. So, yeah, that's why I'm, believe it or not, going with Rudy with that answer. So, that does it for what I thought was a pretty excellent listener question show, believe it or not, all things considered. Again, if you like what you heard or saw, subscribe on wherever you're listening to the show or subscribe on YouTube. I'm really, as I said, trying to push for 15,000 by the new year. And if I get 20,000 subscribers on YouTube, I have a few ideas to say thank you that I, I would like to kind of give back a little bit as well. So please subscribe to the channel. I'd really appreciate it. Or find us everywhere on social media. You know where to find us as well as Patreon, which again, shout out to the patrons who, as I always say, continue to be the reasons why these shows continue to be made. And until next time, as always, force advice.